Hebrews chapter 5, if you have your Bible, and I hope you do, Hebrews chapter 5, we'll be there in just a moment. Do you know all of us, I'm, I'm going to state the obvious, and I, and I don't intend it to be silly or a joke, but we all came into this world the same way. So we were all birthed, born into this world. That is a given. There are, are no alternatives. God created the first man and the first woman, and, and then from, from then on, there was a process of birthing. And so you were born into this world. You, you, you were created in wonderfully fashioned ways. And then, obviously, you started out as an infant and began to grow. There's something about infancy that is pretty special. Um, something wonderful about new life, about babies. I have found this continually true. So often during a time of loss, and especially tragic loss, where there is some uh, immediate punch in the gut kind of loss where, wow, I didn't get to the time to say goodbye. Oftentimes, a, a young infant, you'll hear the, the cry or the laughter of just a child. There's something that, um, that is so opposite, the loss and the life, and, and they seem to go well together because since the creation of the world, that has been the pattern. There has been loss and there has been life. There's something obviously exciting about, about a baby about all that they bring and, and the excitement and the newness, but there's also a lot of work that comes along with being a baby. And so babies, they just, they're, you know, I just started jotting down things about, you know, a child. A child has a limited, infants have a limited diet, okay? Did you ever hear your mom say to your dad, no, 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 don't give that to them, you know? And, and, um, and kids, of course, they're undiscerning. They, they will eat almost anything, you know? If they can shove it into their mouth, you know, it is, must be good for food. And so you think about them, you know, they're only concerned with themselves. Children, they, they really, they do not care about what time they want to be fed. They don't care about what time they need to be changed. They just don't care about any of that. It is really all about them. They don't know what's good for them. They certainly don't like to share. I mean, a, 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 I know we like to say, well, their first word was, you know, uh, mommy or daddy, but more often than not, their first words are mine and no, you know. And so this is the, this is the life of infancy. They need time to grow. They have to be taught things over and over and over again. But they are expected to move beyond infancy. For infants... There are many exciting next new steps, both literally and figuratively. I was thinking about where we are as a church right now, and, and so many at Campus Church are at some pretty exciting places. This morning we talked about, you know, what, what happens when God gets our attention. Tonight, I'd like to address at least help us understand for, for so many as to where am I right now? What's next for me? I mean, we enjoyed as, um, as campus church, like being a part of what took place these last few days at Pensacola Christian College. 
So our Sunday evening service for Campus Church, our Wednesday evening service at Campus Church was to participate with what took place at Pensacola Christian College. Dr. Kenny Baldwin opened the word and preached with power. I think through the course of those services, a lot of people said, okay, Lord, I'm listening. Many people would have either with physical movement or with mental acknowledgement said, yes, Lord, yes. Okay, so then what do I do with that yes? Where do I go from here? So often, I feel like for me in my own life, God does this work of revealing himself and his truths and I I respond, yes, Lord. And then I, I don't do anything with that yes, so it effectually becomes a no. So what do we do with the yes? Well, the title of the message tonight is On to Perfection. Onto perfection. Now, you might be sitting there thinking, well, whoa, hang on just a minute, okay? I mean, I said yes to the Lord, or, or I'm considering saying yes, or, or I have already said yes. Now, you're, you're putting the bar, that you're holding the standard pretty high. Onto perfection. Well, let's take a look and see what Scripture says. Let's start in Hebrews chapter 5, verse number 12, and then we're going to read into Hebrews 6, verse number 1. Hebrews 5, verse 12. For when for the time ye ought to be teachers, ye have need that one teach you again, which be the first principles of the oracles of God, and are become such as have need of milk and not of strong meat. For everyone that useth milk is unskillful in the word of righteousness, for he is a babe. But strong meat belongeth to them that are of full age, even those who by reason of use, that's such a great statement, Even those who by reason of use have exercised their senses to discern both good and evil. Then verse number one, therefore, leaving the principles of the doctrine of Christ, let us go on unto perfection, not laying again the foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith toward God. Okay, at the end of chapter five, the writer of Hebrews is lamenting the fact that there are people who are living in a place that God never intended for them to stay. Um, One man refers to this group as betweeners. Betweeners, it's like, okay, they have left Egypt, all right? So they're, they're no longer living in what the Bible uses as a picture. It's just a picture of the world, okay? So they were living in the world. That was their life. That was their, their living. Every, everything was connected to the world. But they passed from death to life. That's the Passover, the last of the 10 plagues. The, the lamb was sacrificed. The blood applied to the door. The angel comes and passes over them. That's the picture of salvation, And now they pass through the waters, through the Red Sea, it divides and they go over to the other side and they rejoice with what's taking place. Like, wow, this new experience is fantastic. They sing the song of Moses and the Lamb. What an exciting time. Okay, but but now what? Really at the end of Hebrews chapter five, Paul is addressing, or if he's not the writer of Hebrews, the writer is addressing, God the Holy Spirit certainly is the one addressing. 
He's addressing things about this new priestly position that believers have in Christ. He starts to address the order of Melchizedek and he says, now I know these are heavy weighty things and some of you aren't prepared for this, but you should be. Some of you, you, I'm gonna start mentioning these things and you're gonna start backtracking into your, your old picture book instead of this new and living way. You're so bound to the, the rituals, the practices that were supposed to be the picture, the preparation for the New Testament, for this new covenant. You're so caught up in the temple and all of those practices that you're missing the point of going on unto this new way. Really not this new, so to speak, way, but now like, whoa, this is the reality of what we have been, been living We've been in the shadow. Now we get to see the substance. And Paul's lamenting the fact that there's a lot of people that can't get past it. So he says, okay, leaving the principles. He says, get into the land of the promise. Let's cross over Jordan. Let's not forever live in the wilderness as a betweener. Yeah, I'm saved. I've left Egypt. The Passover's happened in my life. But I am not living in the promised land, this life of victorious Christian living. So he says, leaving the principles. Come on, let's go on. Therefore, leaving the principles of the doctrine of Christ. This certainly does not mean abandoning. So don't be confused about this. It doesn't mean like I'm supposed to to abandon everything I learned. No, 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 no. He says, let's go beyond those principles. What are the elementary principles? Therefore, leaving the principles of the doctrine of Christ. The Greek word for principles here in Hebrews 6, 1 is the word arche. In the beginning, in John chapter 1, verse 1 and 2, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. The same was in the beginning. The word translated principles is the same word as beginning. He's saying this is the, 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 the where everything begins, where it all starts. This is the launching point for your Christian life. Um, this is, this, we live in a world on this campus. So campus church. So we, we are surrounded by a place that is driven in so many ways by education. It's really phenomenal. If, if we took a field trip ourselves and we went what we sometimes say across the tracks over to Pensacola Christian Academy, where, where it's just remarkable what children learn. And I find it wonderfully remarkable how early children begin to learn these things. I mean, in the, in the K-4 program at Pensacola Christian Academy, Children are learning things and you, you go to one of these K-4 graduations. If you've never been to one, it's just fun to go to because you never know what kids are going to do, you know. I mean, they're going to do something and it's just going to be a lot of fun. But the other thing they're going to do is they're going to start to, to, to display all the things that they have learned. How to, how to pronounce certain things, how to say the vowels and consonants and, and they'll quote things and they'll go through the alphabet and it's just like, whoa, that's remarkable. Uh, there's, it's, it's a whole school. When, when several years ago, when the academy building was built, it went from, from, from Pensacola um, um, Christian High, okay? So uh, Pensacola Christian High School or Pens- the, the elementary school, PC, you know, Pensacola Christian, 
I don't remember what we called Pensacola Christian School. And then Pensacola Christian High School is what it was. Well, it went from school and high school to academy because it's all under one roof. Now, on the second floor is the secondary. So the high school kids, junior high, they're all upstairs. I know this, I know this to be the fact. I know it would be, first of all, it doesn't happen and it would be really weird. Like, can you imagine a 10th grader sitting in class the first day of school saying, okay, kids, and the teacher comes up, okay, students, sit up straight, pay attention. Okay, that's not the strange part. Um, let's go through the alphabet and see who remembers it, okay? I'm going to start with A here, and then you'll take the next letter. So I gave you some help. The first one's A. And, okay, so A, what's the next one? And we're in 10th grade. And kids are looking at the teacher. They're looking at each other. They're like, serious? We're going to go over the alphabet, and I'm in 10th grade? Now, let me ask you this. Are they going to use the alphabet, the fundamentals of the alphabet that they learned when they were in K-4? They're going to use those things every day, I would submit, of their life. But we're not going to go back again and work on the ABCs because they got that when they were four years old. When the Apostle Paul says, when the writer of Hebrews says, hey, listen, let's go on leaving the principles. He's not saying forsaking the principles. He's saying, come on, let's master those principles and let's start building onto, adding onto the principles of the gospel of Christ. Christ's teachings on the basics are what the author of Hebrews is getting at. The basics are to be studied, fed upon as an infant would feed upon milk. Once the foundation's been laid, it's time to move on. And apparently the Hebrew Christians were so focused on the Old Testament pictures rather than the reality of the New Testament, Paul has to say again, come on, let's move on. One commentary said it this way. Why grope with the candle of the Old Testament revelation when one, when one has the blazing sun of New Testament truth? You know, are there certain things that you've held on to maybe a little too long? I'm just talking about in, in your practical life. It's just us here tonight. It's a Sunday night. How many of you did have a, a blankie when you were a little kid? How many of you had one? And you know you had it. How many of you had it? Okay. Um, don't raise your hand because I don't want to know. But I mean, seriously, if you have it with you, if you're a college student and you had a blankie at home and it shows up at your dorm room, I'm just telling you, and you, people say, what is that? It's my banky. Okay, I mean, it's kind of, <laughs> let it, you know, it's time to say goodbye to the blankie, all right? You say, well, it was very special to me. I'm sure it was, okay. And the was is the operative word there, okay. Hey, listen, I think it can even retain some, some sense of specialness. It's, it's like the little, you know, the little step stool you use to, to reach the counter and brush your teeth. Can you see an, you know, an, I don't know, an Eagles basketball player up there on the thing and hunched way over trying to brush his teeth? You say, well, that's foolish. That's exactly the point that the writer's trying to make. Saying, are you still? It's kind of like he's scratching his head. He's, he's looking at them with some bewilderment. Are you still hung up on that? Maturity is when your understanding of truth 
and your implementation of truth are one and the same. Now I start to understand this and I start to actually put it into practice. Um, if, you have, if you have children in your home, you're, you're a parent and you have young children in, in your home, think about the understanding of truth and the implementation of truth and the way by which character starts to develop when they not only understand but they implement. I mean, if you're a parent, again, don't raise your hand, but how many of you have to tell your kids repeatedly to brush their teeth? Brush your teeth. Did you brush your teeth? Um, uh-huh. Come here and let me look. That though, no, no, no. You brushed a tooth. Okay, go back and brush your teeth. Okay, I mean, you have to do that all the time. Again, f- forgive the silliness of this, but man, if you're in this room and you still have to be told some of these basics, I mean, I know it's, it's a little silly and it's, it's a little um, childish, but there are certain things just, just about life and hygiene and taking care of that we know in a physical world, these are some of the basics of life. What he's saying is, I'm looking at the church, the writer, with some, some look on my face saying, why are we still dealing with this? How many of us know that we should be baptized and part of a local church fellowship? How many of us know that we should treat our spouses with renewed levels of kindness and carefulness that reflect the love of Christ and his church? How many of us know that we should put away gossip and a backbiting tongue? How many of us know that we should be involved in a serving ministry And do so with a spirit of gratefulness that we are counted worthy to serve. How many of us know that we should protect our families and ourselves from influences that are harmful? How many of us know that we should be actively working to lead others to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ? I think most everybody in this building knows all of those things. Now our challenge is the implementation of what we know into what we do. Truth that is heard but is not used becomes dull and meaningless. Information without activation becomes immobilization. So he says, all right, you know, let's leave the principles, go on. And then he says, let us go on to perfection. Therefore, leaving the principles of the doctrine of Christ, let us go on unto perfection. You know, I know a knife grows dull with use, but truth is not like that. Truth actually is sharpened with use. So we're supposed to put it to use all the time. The word used for perfection here is a Greek word. It carries the idea of spiritually mature believer, a complete believer, perfection. It doesn't mean like, oh, hey, I finally arrived at perfection. It's not what it means. It means that I have everything that I need to do the Christian life the way God's intended me to do it. There's this sense of maturity about it. There's only one other time in scripture that this same Greek word is used. And and let's look at it. Notice the scripture. Colossians 3 verses 12 through 14. Put on therefore as the elect of God, holy and beloved, bowels of mercies, kindness, humbleness of mind, meekness, long-suffering, forbearing one another, forgiving one another. If any man have a quarrel against any, even as Christ forgave you, so also do ye. And above all these things, put on charity, now listen to this, which is the bond of perfectness. Same word. 
Let's move on unto perfection. He says, okay, put on charity. That is the bond of perfectness. Basically, what the Bible is saying here is that love is the glue that makes your maturity, your knowledge stick. Without love, we will be forever an infant church. And the body of the church literally falls apart. The word bond used in verse number 14, the bond of perfectness, was used in Greek to refer to the ligaments that held the body together. What is it? Okay, perfectness. This is like maturity. I I have what I need. Okay, the bond, the, the ligaments that hold this whole body together, our maturity is held together with what? Wow, with this heaven sent love. Put on agape, put on charity. Beloved, let us love one another. And let's not love in word only, but let's, let's love in word and in truth, in deed. Again, knowledge apart from service, it is a dangerous thing. Listen, campus church is filled with people with volumes of knowledge. Man, we've had it, we've grown up with it, we've been challenged with it, we've studied it. We have a lot of knowledge. Knowledge without putting it to use. It is a dangerous thing. 1 Corinthians 8, 1 We know that we all have knowledge. Knowledge puffeth up, but charity edifieth. Do you know what the word edify means? It means to build. Knowledge puffs up. It puffs up the individual. Charity, that this bond of of perfectness held together by love, that doesn't puff me up. It builds another up. Now, I'm far more concerned about how can I help them than I am about, you know, what can I show about me? What a powerful pattern God has left for his local body of believers, the church, to move on to completion. Please know that a loving church is not a church that's, that's void of truth, of saying something that sometimes is hard to hear and sometimes runs directly contrary to what we hear in our culture today. It's not a place where we hide behind love when confronted with sin. It's not a church that ignores holiness, the holiness of God, in an attempt to magnify the love of God. It's a church that deals with sin because of our love for others. It's a church that preaches truth because of our love for God. It's a church that understands the truth of Psalm 85.10. Mercy and truth are met together. Righteousness and peace have kissed each other. Do you see, we sometimes think of these things as as strong opposites, but God says, no, 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 these are things that go naturally together. Mercy and truth, righteousness and peace. These things go wonderfully hand in hand for the spiritually mature church. What are some of the signs of this spiritual maturity held together by love? A desire to be holy rather than happy. We, we want holiness, this, oh Lord, I am holy because I'm in you, so may I live like who I am. A desire to give rather than receive. The spiritually mature person, they view themselves as a steward, not as an owner. 
Listen, Campus Church, we commended you tonight. Thank you for the way you have given. I don't know what anybody in Campus Church gives. That's the truth. Other than what Julie and I give. That's the only thing that I know. But if you're here tonight and you're a spiritually mature believer, but you're not giving to support as you've purposed in your heart to the efforts of the local church, you are in spiritual immaturity. You're, I feel bad for you, not because like, wow, Campus Church is hurting financially. Campus Church has a budget and we budget carefully. We do so because we understand we've got responsibilities. We, we have to take care of, we've got to meet these obligations. We, we budget carefully, but we do so based on what does the, 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 the people of Campus Church, what do they give? I feel bad for the person who has known Christ for a long time, but they're not giving. They say, well, I can't afford to give. I'm not the first one to say it and I won't be the last. You can't afford not to give. Are you an owner of what is in your account or are you a steward of what's in your account? That's an important question to ask and then answer. And if you're an owner, then you do whatever you want with what you have. But if you're a steward, in other words, if what you've been given has been provided by the good hand of another and that is almighty God, then we should say, God, what do you want me to do with what you've entrusted to me? They have a desire to serve rather than be served. It's asking, what can I offer rather than what do you have to give me? A desire to love rather than be loved. For God so loved that he gave. It's a desire to be controlled. It's a desire to be controlled rather than control. Say, well, I don't want anybody to control me. Oh, my, might all of us be led by the control of the Spirit. You say, what is, what is the filling of the Spirit? It has everything to do with control. Love sacrifices. Love considers another more important. Love rejoices in the well-being and safety of another. Love values honesty, integrity, character. Love unites people together. Love practices forgiveness. It even points the hearts of God's people to think on holiness and purity, forgiveness, humility, patience, and much more. In infancy, there's selfishness, quarreling, arguments, division, unreconciled relationships, unforgiven memories, and all types of sin. In maturity, there is unity, reconciliation, healing, growth, and of course, the manifestation of the love of Christ. Campus Church, may we, wherever we are right now, take the next step in spiritual maturity and do what we know rather than live only in what we know. May we leave behind, build upon those foundational principles and may we move on to perfection.